Hello, everyone. I'm Emily Lavender, and this is the Forever Marriage Podcast. Forever Marriage at Lakewood exists to strengthen families by helping couples discover God's design for marriage. We are in season two of the podcast where we're talking about six keys to better sex in marriage. We've already covered the first key, um, how to align your thinking with sex about God's truth. And we are in the middle of the second key where we're talking about dealing with sexual sin, past or present. So we are going to continue that conversation and also move into three steps to consider when dealing with sexual sin. So Scott, I'm going to go ahead and just hand it on over to you and let you continue where we were from the first episode. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sam. Guys, if you've got your Bible or if you want to just look on your device, I'd like you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 and 20. If you're driving, just listen. But Paul says there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Father, I pray as we go into this episode, Spirit, I just pray, I love that you convict your children's spirit of both sin and righteousness. You show us where we are made right with the Father through Jesus, but you also see and show us the areas of our life that are not right, that are out of alignment with who we are in Christ. And so we pray in this episode that you would guide us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, help us to know what is right, what is true, what is honorable, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of you, what is good, and then help us to move in that direction out of obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Sexual immorality of any sort is never to be tolerated, guys, inside or outside of marriage. We cannot ask God to bless that which he is never blessed. And this is something that we deal with pretty routinely. Um in that, as I alluded to in our last episode, we're often working with couples preparing for marriage and how they're going about preparing for marriage is totally antithetical to how Scripture teaches us to prepare for marriage. And so this episode, we're going to just challenge some of that thinking. I want you to hear what we say in a spirit of love. Our prayer in this whole series is that it would be balanced with truth and grace, that we could speak the truth in love to ourselves. You know, Emily, Dawn, and I, as we're walking through this, in essence, guys, we're preaching the gospel to ourselves. But I, So we're speaking the truth, but I do pray that you're going to hear it through a lens of grace, not condemnation, but grace. As Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. As believers, our bodies belong to God. They're not our own. Jesus paid a high price with his life for both you and me. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, 
you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And Paul encourages us with that reality, therefore, glorify God with your body. So as we're moving on in key number two, dealing with sexual sin, both past or present, a crucial aspect to experiencing mutual, mutually fulfilling sex inside of marriage is to ensure that there is not past or present sin that we've not dealt with. The apostles, Paul and James, both said this, and I think it's very impactful in helping us to deal with sin. This was a passage in Ephesians 5.13 that in men's ministry just came alive to me it's a couple of decades back, but it has been powerful as I've seen this, as I've watched men exposing sin, not just sexual sin, but just sin in general to one another, the power of it. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5.13. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. He says, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. God's kingdom is a kingdom of light. It's not of darkness. And if you know science, darkness is simply the absence of light. So to be overcome, darkness has to be exposed to the light. In essence, what we're going to be doing in this episode, what we did in our previous one, is knowing in wisdom how to expose darkness of of our past, the darkness of sin, how to expose it to the light by the grace of God's Word, along with confession and repentance. And the whole purpose is to bring bring about the process of healing. Because we can't walk in darkness, guys. I'll, I'll just say this to you. If you're married and you're wanting to experience the height of intimacy with your partner, spiritually, relationally, maritally, emotionally, mentally, sexually, you cannot be walking in darkness. There cannot be unexposed areas of your life that is hidden because you will, (laughs) it's, you cannot be fully known when all aspects of you are not fully known. Does that make sense? Sin that is brought to the light often provides a literal sense of lightness. You know, the imagery that Paul uses in Ephesians 5.13 is this light-darkness image. But what we have witnessed with both males and females as we have walked beside them through God's grace to help them expose sin in their life, it's not just the light of God's Word and the light of God's truth that comes into their light, but you can almost physically see a sense of lightness when sin is brought to the light. This confession, this weight, when Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 1, the bondage of sin, sin is a bondage that weighs us down. But when it's confessed, when it's brought to the light, and I would say this to you, there may be things as you're listening to us right now that you may think, ooh, Scott, you don't get it. I, I just cannot talk to my spouse about that. That's I get it. I get that. What I would challenge you, though, is this. 
find someone who fits two, four bills or four uh, qualities. The first one is a person that loves Jesus Christ, a person that loves you, a person that knows and loves your spouse, and fourth, they want God's best for you. Let me say that again. You need to find a person if if it's if you're not quite ready to expose sin to your spouse or don't know is it appropriate. I would say find a trusted companion, someone who loves Jesus Christ, who loves you, who loves your partner and wants God's best for the two of you. Prayerfully consider, Lord, is this a person that I can entrust with this part of my life? And, and prayerfully consider, how do I go about exposing this past sin? It may be even present sin. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way in James 5.16. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We often talk about that verse through the lens of prayer, and we see that there is effectiveness. There's power in righteous people praying for one another. But I personally believe that there is a link between both prayer and confession that leads to healing. Unconfessed sin, when it's brought to the light, in the context of prayerful interaction, intercession for one another, I believe is used by God to bring about healing. So according to James, confess sin brings healing. And in the sexual context, that may mean emotional, mental, as well as relational, and I believe possibly even physical healing. Let me just say this. I'm not a medical doctor. But sometimes we have encountered folks who have dealt with physical issues with sexuality that we believe is is rooted in past sexual trauma, maybe some distorted and false beliefs, that when it's brought to the light, some issues physically, I'm not saying all of them, but some issues often can be rectified. So to experience better sex in marriage, you must be prepared to confess sexual sin to one another. So in this episode, we're going to give you real quick um, three steps to consider when dealing with sexual sin. And as we say, these are things that we've uh, come about in our own experience and in working with couples through the years. These lists that we give you in our episodes are not always all-inclusive. You could probably add some other pieces to it that would be right, that would be good. This, these are just things that we've observed. So let me give you real quick three steps to consider when dealing with sexual sin. The first one is this. You've got to agree on what is need-to-know information versus want-to-know information. Now let me give you an illustration. As Dawn alluded to in our last episode, if you've not listened to the previous episode, go back and listen to that on the front end because she talked about our personal experience. And when we came in, when we were in the dating courtship um, part of our relationship, 
dawn through the mentor and guidance of a wise woman was encouraged that she needed to expose some of her sexual past to me, of which Dawn did do. Now, listen, I was 24 years old at the time. I know the later me was a very immature guy into 25 and 26. But when Dawn exposed sexual sin from her past to me, God, through his grace, empowered me to simply say this, I love you, I accept you, and who am I to hold forgiveness from you? Because I know what God, through Christ, has forgiven me of. Now, that was a mature response on my part that I can tell you as a 24-year-old went above and beyond me. That was not me. That was Christ through me. But... The point I'm trying to make is this. When you know that there's uh, sexual sin that needs to be confessed, you're going to have to, as a couple, agree what is need to know versus what is want to know. Now, let me explain what it is. Dawn knew I needed to know her past sexual experience because as she talked about and what she later found out through reading Paula Reinhardt's book, um, Sex and the Soul of a Woman, there were things that she needed to go through to bring about healing for herself. But a key piece was bringing it to light to me because she knew I was we were moving into a covenant relationship with one another. Now. I have dealt with couples. I will say this. I don't, do not recommend it. I have dealt with couples who have been in very unhealthy relationships and they decided at the very onset of a relationship, they were going to tell everything to their partner about everybody, everything they did, who they did it with, what they did, all of that. Hear me in. <laughs> Let me say this in a a loving way. Just be wise about that. I understand um, we want to confess sin, and that is good, and that is right. But be careful about what all you do bring to the light and how you bring it into the light. For instance, let me tell you how it played out for me and Dawn. Dawn told me, as she said to you in our past episode, that she had a sexual past, that she led a promiscuous lifestyle. But to this day, I, I never have asked her who those partners were, what they did. I don't need to know that. I know that would not be good for me. Uh, I've never pressed her for that. It's not that she's hidden that from me. Now, let me say this. Do I have, as her husband, and in the premarital context, did I have the right to know those details? Of course I did. But I would say this. If you are the partner, either premaritally or in the marital context, that is going to insist and say, Scott, I disagree with you. I want to know everything. I would say to you this. Yes, you have the right to know everything. But is it going to do you good to know all of that? I would say this to you. I learned this from a fellow named Dave Carter, uh, and it, it was very challenging to me. He said, you have the right, the partner has the right to know everything 
that their partner did prior to their relationship. But the partner that wants to know all of those intimate details will then be tasked with the the responsibility and the willingness to forgive their partner of everything that they hear. And so I would simply say this, if you're uncertain whether you would be able to forgive and live with all of the intimate details your partner might say to you, I would just say, be careful of what you ask. There's need to know information, then there's want to know information. Want to know tends to be all the intimate details. And let me just tell you, I've yet to meet the couple that shared all the intimate details, who they were with, where they were, what they did, that it did their relationship good. I've not found that couple. I've not found it because all it does, it creates insecurity. It creates images of comparison when the couple is together intimately. They're wondering, okay, is he thinking of her and what they were doing while he's with me? It does you no good. So I want to say, yes, you do have the right to know it, but be careful of being too inquisitive of your partner. And I think that this is a good time to say some, you know, some of these processes need to take place with um, with godly counsel. And so if you are you understand, I've got some confessions to do, but I'm not sure what and how and I want to do I want to honor the Lord in these confessions because I I make a confession is first of all agreeing with God that I've stepped outside the bounds and you know you know that in your heart is to seek out some godly counsel to talk with first so that they can help you objectively process through these things to be able to walk you through the process of confession and uh and and be able to walk through the aftermath of confession with you because these can be pretty tough and devastating conversations and so it's so important to Scott and me to stress that you process this out with godly counsel as you are walking this road together for healing so we're talking about three steps to consider when dealing with sexual sin The first step was to agree on what is need-to-know information versus want-to-know information. The second step is, is this. Confess sexual sins you may have committed. And what might those be? One is addiction to pornography. It could be addiction to pornography linked with excessive masturbation, maybe even an addiction to masturbation. In recent recent years, Dawn and I have dealt more and more with both men and women. Let me say that. Men and women who struggle with pornography and masturbation. Now, this is Scott and Dawn speaking. This is our opinion. We see no need for pornography and little need for masturbation in the context of marriage. We believe that God has given us, our spouses, as individuals who can legitimately meet our legitimate sexual needs. So why resort to less legitimate needs, be it pornography or self-sex, to have a legitimate sexual need met when you have a partner who God has given you to meet that need? Now, I will say this too, guys. I want to remind you what we said in previous episodes. Marital biblical sexuality is about mutual submission. 
It is about expression of preference and honor to both one another, a husband to his wife, a wife to his husband, to her husband. Marital section sexuality is never about a demand or a duty or an obligation. You owe me this. You, I deserve this. That's never our approach here. If you're an engaged or a newly married person and have struggled with an addiction to pornography, you may be tempted to think that marriage will resolve this. And we talked about this in a previous uh, episode. It will not. It will mask it for about a two to three year period. Your addiction to pornography will go dormant because in the, typically, generally speaking, for most marriages in the early years of marriage, the merit, the sexual frequency is such at a heightened state for both partners that it masks the addictive tendencies that might be below the surface. So if you find yourself struggling with sexual temptation or lust, uh, we encourage you to spend some time with a resource. And I think we'll have this in our notes, a piece that we've put together called Biblical Meditation for Temptation. And that resource will assist you in, in taking tempting and lustful thoughts captive before you act on them. And secondly, you know, as we're talking about sexual sins committed, um, we do want to also note um, same-sex experiences. So as Scott and I have done a good many, um, you know, premaritals, I mean, we, we certainly have seen um, the mindset of marriage as a savior for addiction to pornography and also same-sex attraction, that there's a sense of if I get married – then this will go away or this will be remedied. Those two things in particular we see as this idea that marriage is going to save me from, from these two things. When both of these things must be brought to the light and talked about and, and addressed. So for, you know, for the couple or for the person out there who, you know, you, you know, this is you, that same sex attraction has been, and is um, in the dark for you, um, then we want to encourage you to reach out to us. Let's talk about that in a personal, in a personal format. Um, I, I believe in sexual purity, no matter what. I know that the snap of a finger doesn't take away the sinful desires or the attractions that we have of our, in our hearts. But I do know that when we trust the Lord for his plan and for his goodness, that road can be walked in a godly way. Um, I have, you know, I, I have listened a good bit to Jackie Hill Perry share her story in the most real way, in the most realistic way, I think, of, of understanding sexuality, same-sex attraction, um, and has been helpful to me to have that insight. Now, Scott and I have had friends, <clears throat> people in our life who we love, who have walked this road, and it's difficult, and it's challenging, and it's difficult for Christ followers to hold that tension in their hands of knowing what they believe biblically and also knowing who they love with all of their hearts. It's a difficult place to be in. But in the context of marriage, and especially in premar- premarital counseling, if this is you, and you have that, you have, you have same sex attraction. This is something that we must talk about in a premarital 
session because uh, we all, we've gotten to a place where we ask the question in premarital, is there anything that needs to be brought to the light now that if it comes to the light on the other side of the altar would potentially be a deal breaker for your partner? Because so much of us, come, when we come into the premarital sense, we think of marriage as being a rescue or a savior figure. Well, there's only one savior. Marriage is not it. Only Christ is it. And he is the one who can help us walk with these things in a godly manner. As Dawn was sharing, I was just thought about a passage here uh, from Mark chapter 4, verse 22. As, as she was alluding to, we'll often come, not often, but sometimes we'll come into marriage and think, well, marriage will solve this issue. I've got an addiction to pornography. But marriage will solve that. Uh, I have same-sex attraction, but marriage will solve that. And we, we hide it, or not necessarily in a deceptive way, but we... We're hoping upon hope that marriage will be, as Dawn alluded to, the great Savior for us. And I will just say this to you guys. Marriage is not a Savior. There's only one Savior, and Jesus Christ is the Savior. Marriage is not intended to be a Savior for us. But if you're coming into marriage and thinking falsely that marriage will be the cure-all for you, it will not. And if you think I can hide this, or I, I recall a conversation in, that Dawn and I had not too long ago about a couple that we're, we were doing premarital with. And he acknowledged on the premarital assessment that he often struggled with um, pornography. But on the same assessment, um, the question that his partner was responding to was, does your partner struggle with addiction to pornography or attraction to pornographic material? She said never. And he said that he did often. So that clued the two of us in. There's something he's yet to reveal to her. And chances are he's hoping and praying and assuming that marriage is going to solve that issue for the two of them. And so he's just not going to bring it to the light. But I can tell you, if that's you and you're in a similar boat, I can tell you marriage is not going to solve that issue. And what I can tell you is this, it's going to be brought to the light because Jesus says it this way in Mark 4.22. Nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. And inevitably, Inevitably, when we are hiding something from our partner, unfortunately, more often than not, it does not get disclosed by us. It gets exposed. And if that's you, let me just encourage you. If there's something you're hiding, you're ashamed of, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider disclosing it at least to someone who loves you, as we said earlier, that is a trusted companion that can walk beside you if God leads you maybe even to your partner. So in this episode, we're, we're talking about dealing with sexual sin, past and present, and we're drilling down specifically on three steps to consider when dealing with sexual sin. We've, 
We've said number one is to agree on what is need to know information versus versus what is want to know information. And we're talking about the second step is confessing sexual sins we may have committed. The first one was addiction to pornography or excessive masturbation. Dawn's talked about the second one, which is same-sex attraction and experiences. And then the third one under this section is abortion or traumatic experiences. There may be sexual experiences in your past that your spouse needs to know about. Often these experiences leave emotional and mental scars that take time to heal. We've already said this, that sexual sin often just takes time to heal. So these experiences may be the result of your own sinful choices. It's not something that somebody uh, committed against you. It's something you willfully chose to do. So regardless, it could be that God wants to use your spouse's unconditional love and acceptance of you as part of your journey to healing. So I just want to encourage you, prayerfully consider confessing these sexual sins you may have committed. And then we're going to close out this episode with the third step. This is just to acknowledge sexual sins that may have been committed against you. If you know, this is particularly, um, I, I talk to women often, and uh, one of the things that is particularly difficult, especially for a young married woman, is if she has experienced at any time in her life um, a sexual trauma like uh, rape or incest, sexual molestation, um, abuse of, of, of the sexual nature in their formative years and, 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 and going forward. And I, and it's certainly the case for men too. So I'm not excluding the husband in this as well because, um, uh, because it's common, uh, it's common, uh, to man. Um, it is, but I want to just encourage you a little bit and let you, you know, it's hard to sort of tease out or sort of, um, pick apart the, the shattering that takes place in the child when they become the victim of abuse. But I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 18. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus with a child. And he, the, the disciples are inquisitive about who would be the greatest in heaven. And Jesus calls a little child to stand among them. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes a little like child like this in my name welcomes me. And then verse six is a very powerful and foreboding warning. And he says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. What Jesus is saying is that when an adult who bears the responsibility for the protection and the care of these children, when they cross that line of responsibility, they throw that responsibility and they cross that line of power and they abuse those children. Jesus is saying you are caught. That person is causing that child to sin, drawing them into sin and causing them to sin. Jesus does not hold the child responsible for that. He holds the abuser responsible for that. And he says he might as well have a millstone 
tied around his neck. How violent is that? And be tossed into the deepest ocean. Jesus is very serious about um, the uh, powerful boundary crossers in this world who cross these boundaries violently and sexually, whether it is through rape or abuse, who woe to the world, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. And so if abuse is a part of your life and listen, there's so much, there's so much pain and shame that surrounds this topic for people. But let me encourage you that you are drawn, you are caused to sin by another person. Now I have seen, you know, and have seen uh, the ripple effects of it, that abuse tends to ripple also out into, uh, into older age as you grow older, women generally become more sexualized. Um, so do young men become sexualized, but they also move into the area of becoming abusers themselves. Not all, but some into that area. There's so much dysfunction and distortion as a ripple effect of that one, uh, of that, um, of the occurrence of abuse in childhood. Eventually, we take responsibility for our actions because we are acting and we know we are acting sinfully. But there is a period of time where we are caused to sin and Jesus takes that very seriously. I find it very difficult for people to be able to put abuse, if they have it in their past in some form, in the proper perspective without good, solid counsel and help and therapy to move through that. So we just want to encourage you, if this is you, also um, to to move to be ready to move into a place of counseling where you can process this very carefully, very thoughtfully in a biblical and prayerful way. Yeah. So I know guys, what we've been sharing in this episode uh, in the previous one and, and really in what's going to be coming is a, probably feels a little heavy at times. You may think I'm just not ready. I want to encourage you as Dawn and Emily have encouraged you to go back and listen to our episode. If you have not already, on the uh, five keys to a safe relationship, the steps that you need to take, make sure you have these characteristic practices in place in, in having what we deem as safe uh, conversations. So if you've not done that, uh, make sure you listen to that because it, it will be helpful as you prayerfully consider having these these conversations from this point forward. Now, where where are we going in our next episode? In our next episode, we've we've been talking about in this episode dealing with past sexual sin. In our next episode, we're going to talk about what do you do uh, if there is existing sexual sin in your relationship, maybe premaritally or even in the context of marriage, what do you do about that? And we're going to give you 10 necessary practices for re- restoration after sexual sin has been exposed. Because as I've said already, and we'll talk about in our next episode, uh, more often than not, present sexual sin gets exposed and not disclosed. And what we're working towards is encouraging you in growth and maturity in Christ to be the one who discloses it before it gets exposed. Thanks for listening with us. We love you. We pray as we have prayed before we came on that what we're sharing here will be helpful, 
will be encouraging. If you ever want to reach out to us, you can just go to forevermarriage.org and you can contact us. If you have personal questions, uh, we'll get that and we'll respond to you as soon as possible. So thank you for listening. Look forward to you joining us again for our next episode. God bless.